Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Bella Younger, although you might know me better as my Instagram alter ego, Deliciously Stella. Welcome to the new series of my podcast, which is called Deliciously Stella on the Job. So in this new series, I'm going to be meeting a whole host of lovely ladies and chatting to them about their careers, how they got started and top tips on how to be as successful as they are. Plus, I'll also be sharing my thoughts on some of this week's news, events and popular stories from the web. Today I'm here with the lovely Dorno Porter. Thank you so much for coming in. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Um, so this series is all about Deliciously Stella on the job. So I want to talk to some amazing ladies about their careers. So Dawn, you are an author, presenter, vintage connoisseur and fashion designer. Those are things that I do, yes. And also a podcaster. I am a fresh off the block podcaster. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. So we kind of want to talk about how you got into what you do. And you did start as a presenter, didn't you? I did, yes. I worked behind the scenes in TV for a long time. So I was a runner and then kind of worked up through the ranks. And then I got a call one day from a, a TV producer that I used to work with. He said, we're doing this show called Balls of Steel. It was the Channel 4 comedy show. Mm-hmm. And they needed someone to sit in a pub and stitch guys up on a secret camera show and then pull this um, prank on them so obviously I leapt at the chance and I did that and then um, around that time I was also writing my first book which was an incredibly saucy internet sexy memoir and, um, and it all went from there really then I started getting my clothes off on BBC Three yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. You did. I really did that, yeah. Um, so you're really well known for the show that you did, which was called Super Slim Me. That was the first one, yeah. Yeah. God, that must have been absolutely intense. It was. It was. So I was trying to starve myself down to a size zero, which I didn't do because that would have taken beyond the level of effort that I could possibly ever do for a TV show. So I kind of was on about 500 calories a day. Dropped lo- over Christmas, I might add. Oh, God, that's um, miserable. But because I hadn't done TV before, I remember going home to my family that Christmas and being like, so I'm starving myself for TV. And I could tell they didn't really understand the kind of documentary that I was making. Now they would, if I went home and said, oh, I'm sleeping with a thousand men for TV, they'd understand <laughs> the kind of stuff that I do. But at the time, I think they they thought that I was trying to starve myself to be on TV or something. And it just made no sense to them at all why I ate like two slices of turkey breast and half a potato and why I was so vile and horrible to be around. But that show, I put I put my absolute heart and soul into it. And I think it was the perfect balance of journalism and stunt. And so that, that was the show that kind of started me off in making those weird documentaries that I'd made. I mean, I thought it was really, really great and I'm fascinated about our attitudes towards body image. Do you mm-hmm. think that we're still as obsessed 
with our bodies as we were 10 years ago? I think we will always be obsessed with our bodies. I don't think that's changed, but I do think that there's much more of a balance in what's available for us to look at now. Like, we don't have that same got to be thin, got to be thin, got to be thin, got to look like a supermodel thing. I think we will always want to be slim and healthy. Everybody wants to be a slimmer, healthier version of themselves. But I think back then that whole size zero craze was if you're not kind of, you know, runway ready size double zero then you're not beautiful because that's what we, that's what the industry decided beautiful was i think that's filtered out a bit we are we now mm. all know that you can be beautiful at any size for all their faults i think the kardashians have done quite a good job in encouraging i think so too but i also think about this because um there are the kardashians but i also because i live in la and i kind of look back at london mm-hmm. i think our examples of women on tv are incredibly positive you think about the kind of main tv presenters that we've got hollow willoughby uh, caroline flack Gemma kenny like uh, just davina no one is stick thin everyone has got shape to them and they're the kind of women that we see on tv every day which i think is really great for the uk obviously movie stars are always going to be thin like mm. there's not really anything we can do about that we're just all going to accept it but i do think that now we've got a much bigger range of shapes and sizes which makes everyone feel a little bit less shit about not fitting in sample size and what do you think about social media do you think that there's enough range there do you think there's enough diversity i don't know really i mean i guess it depends who you follow like i'm not going to name i'm not going to say a name here but i was up until last week following a model and i just got so sick of the pouty flat stomach I just woke up like this type photos. I just stopped following it. And I think the thing is about social media, if you keep, if you, you, every time you look at your feed, you're getting bombarded with a body image that's depressing. You could just stop following those people. That is true. That is true of nice, sensible women like us. I do worry about younger girls, though. I do too. But I do think, I do think that we're living in a good time. I think there's been a huge turnaround and I think there are some really, really great, curvaceous, strong, career driven, wonderful role models out there that, maybe 10 years ago weren't quite so prevalent. I think people now really support uh, women, what was, you know, this is the whole point of feminism, but women who do other things other than be stick thin and being supported and giving airtime. Mm. I think that's some pretty good role models out there. I always worry about young girls, but I mean, you know, I was putting cones on my tits and thrusting my vagina in my teacher's faces because <laughs> I love Madonna. So, so I think, you know, that, that problem's always been there. When I was a teenager, I looked like Heath Ledger, so oh. I had absolutely no hope. But like Circa oh, and Night's Tale, quite turned on, I mean, he was a very handsome man. But <laughs> as a 15-year-old girl, he wasn't the ideal. Right. Yeah. So now that you live in LA, yes. do you find that it's very different? Are you tempted to like soul cycle and spiralize and green juice? I actually bought spiralizer last week and I love it. It. Oh really? So yeah, I mean, I I love unhealthy food, but I also love healthy food. Like mm. I, you know, my I had a muffin for lunch, but that doesn't mean that I won't have a green smoothie in the morning. Um, I maybe swim for fifteen minutes every day and walk the dog. I really don't do much exercise, but I don't want to be bigger than I am. So I I eat healthy most of the time. LA has got that kind of constant summertime vibe where you just wear slightly less clothes and because it's hot, you just do eat better. Mm. I get scurvy every time I come back to London because <laughs> <laughs> I just drink so much and live off burgers. But um, it is a healthier... It's, you can go to any restaurant and have the healthy options. So if you've been indulging for two days, you can still go out for dinner and have a kale salad if you want to. But, um, you know, my social life and my life over there doesn't demand me to be 
thin. Yeah. So it's pretty normal. But you just when you're just walking around in vest tops and skirts, you tend to eat a bit more salad. So how do you split your time between the UK and the US? That's home, definitely home. Yeah. And then I'm back for a kind of good long trip every three or four months. I do about a month to five weeks every three or four months. So it's a lot of travelling, especially now I've had a kid. Travelling yeah, with a kid is so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> Everyone loves babies on planes. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is about babies on planes is no matter how much you're pissed off, you have to just spare a thought for that parent who you can be assured has done everything they can and is at their wits end if that baby's making noise. But yeah, Art just wants to now run the length of the plane (laughs) continuously. So we've just got a good three hours until he falls asleep of just up and down the plane and just knocking things off people's trays. And yeah, I mean, it's just awful. So something that has got my goat this week is, I'm sure along with everybody else, obviously the Donald Trump. So I went home last week to sort of do some writing and hang out with my parents and my mum announces at lunch that given the choice, if she lived in America, she would vote Trump because she believes that he is, and I quote, the lesser of two evils. She said she wouldn't trust Hillary Clinton as far as she could throw her and that she would vote Trump. I was like, but mum, he's a sexually aggressive warthog in a tie. You, you can't possibly want to vote for him. I mean, you have daughters, you are a woman yourself. You know, more than one person close to him has committed assault. Assault? Like, you might not like Hillary Clinton, but surely, surely this pig in a wig can't be an option. So, Dawn, you have a fashion podcast called Get It On. Um, fashion is a massive part of your life, especially vintage fashion. Can you tell me about how you got into it? Um, well, my parents, my aunt and uncle who brought me up were furriers in London in the 60s. So around the dinner table all my life, they were talking about the way that clothes are made and how and the charm of the 60s and 70s. So I think I've always had that extremely nostalgic view to the past. But also, I, I mean, the word fashion isn't really what I'm about. It's really about style. And mm. I see clothes as a way for us to express ourselves, not a way that you can follow the herd and just, you know, be a part of a trend. I think when people truly dress for who they are inside, that it's just an extension of them and who they are. And it's a fun thing. It doesn't have to be stressful. I also think clothes are really fun. So the whole point of Bob, my hashtag, just bloody wear it, yeah. is... Just have fun with this thing that we're given to have fun with. It doesn't have to be serious. You don't have to take it seriously and you don't have to dress or look the way that everybody wants you to look. You just have to wear the thing that makes you feel fantastic every morning. And that's the kind of ethos behind what I do. So half of Bob is vintage clothing. And I really make people buy bonkers dresses because I think when you put on a bonkers dress, it just makes you feel different and fun. And so that's pretty much, I bully people into wearing crazy 70s dresses. <laughs> you but, had a you had a shop, didn't you? You had a pop-up shop. I do pop-up shops all the time, which are brilliant. Yeah. And like the, the reason that the hashtag Just Bloody Wear It came about was because people would walk in all the time and they'd say, oh, I love that, but I just never wear it. And I just found myself saying all the time, just bloody wear it. Mm. Like, Buy the 60 quid bonkers chiffon 70s maxi dress and wear it when you have people around for Sunday lunch. And so I, you get emails and tweets from people who would say, I did it, I wore it, and I just felt like the most fun Sunday lunch host ever. And I'm like, there you go. A dress is just a dress. It's how you wear it. And uh, and I love the idea that clothes make people feel really excited and really fun. And, you know, Abigail's party, everyone references that all the time. Like, we should all sometimes be Abigail. <laughs> I don't know Abigail's party. It's a 70s, it was a 70s play, I think it started off. It might have been a TV show as well, maybe a film actually. And um, she just kind of, you know, has, I think, the neighbours around and wears fantastic 70s maxi dresses. And 
I think once you've hosted a party wearing that once, you could never have anyone around your house wearing jeans and t-shirt ever again. <laughs> but I just, I don't know, I just, I just like the way that clothes make me feel. And so the podcast is all about why we wear what we wear. So the psychology of clothes. You know, I like a lot of people dress in a certain way because they either feel like it says something about them or because they're hiding something or trying to tell the world something or whatever it is. But it's usually something that's going on in their head. Not just because they, you know, read a magazine and say, oh, I should be wearing that. So the podcast is about finding out why certain people, celebrities and just interesting people, why they wear the clothes they wear. Interesting. Yeah. I wear the clothes that I wear because I like to always look a little bit drunk. (laughs) Although I'm really boring today because I have my son all morning. So I've been in a a park all morning. So I'm actually just wearing jeans and jumper. But um, but yeah, I like to look a little bit drunk most of the time. (laughs) That is such a good way to get dressed. So you've got it all going on. Wife, mum, presenter, fashion designer. podcaster how are you balancing it all how are you doing it well living in America helps because there's an eight hour time difference so I wake up with art about seven o'clock and then it's just a real it's busy in the morning got Mm -hmm. loads of emails from my Bob team and writing notes and whatever that is but by midday no one in England wants to talk to me because they've all gone home so from midday until you know five o'clock I get to write my books. So actually, it works out quite well. I don't think I'd be so successful at writing if I lived here because my days are just crazy. So how many books have you written now? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so hang on. How many books have I written? Diaries of Internet, Paper, Prince Goose, this whole thing. Um, Four. But then I've... I did a, a book called The Booby Trap, which is a collection of stories about boobies for breast cancer. Oh, lovely. And um, I've just finished another one. So five books and one booby book. Five books five and books. one booby book. <laughs> yeah. Which is your favourite? The one I just wrote. Which is? It's called Cows. And it's kind of modern feminism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, this book nearly killed me to write because I started it just after I had my baby and three months after I launched my business. Why I decided to do all these things to myself in the first year of being a mum is just beyond me. But um, somehow it got done. But there were moments in the course of writing this book where I thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> I thought, I thought this is never going to, this is never going to have full scale tribal meltdown in New York City when Chris was working in the middle of a thunderstorm. And I just kind of knocked on the door of where we were staying and he answer the door and I was just drenched and I just said I give up I can't do it and he kind of wrapped his arms around me and took me upstairs and made me a cup of tea and was like right come on let's talk about this and then suddenly a year later there's a book so I think with all creative projects sometimes it feels like the ones that give you the most hell might end up being your best and that's a little bit how I feel about this one. Um, I think that that is definitely true. I know that I felt that when I was writing my Edinburgh show last year. I was like, I will never be able to get through this. I just won't. I know that I will die before this is over. Writing is so hard. Like, writing is so hard. In one way, it's the best job in the world. Um, You have such freedom. You do your own hours. You're allowed to sit in a room on your own for most of the day, which I thoroughly enjoy. There is that. But some of the process, that feeling of if I don't produce, you'll know this, if I don't produce ideas, I don't get paid. I have no career unless I come up with everything. Yeah, exactly. And there are some times, and some, these times can last anything from an hour to a year in my, in my experience. And during that time, it's re- everything just becomes very terrifying. You're a terrible friend. You're a scary wife. You're an on and off mum. <laughs> the business <laughs> fails. Your Twitter feed is slightly maniacal. And it all just goes a bit crazy because creative stress consumes your brain and that's what that first year of motherhood was for me just 
creative stress whilst also trying to breastfeed a child. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I thought I had it tough because I, I don't like working from home very much. I get very lonely. I love like having someone to talk to. What advice can you give me to sort of keep myself motivated and keep myself going? That It is tough. It is tough. I've worked from home for so many years now. Um, actually, I've, for the last six months, I have joined one of those... Uh, it's called WeWork and it's like a communal workspace. Oh, yeah. And that's, there's one that's five minutes from my house in LA and it's changed my life because it's almost like going and working in a cafe or a pub, but you don't have to spend $50 every day to sit there and just eat more than you could possibly eat just so they don't kick you out. Um, and that's changed my life. And it means that I'm very secluded if I want to be, but I've also just got people buzzing around and there's, they're, they're all over London. Like That's a really good idea. Yeah, I think I should join one. Yeah, you should. I definitely think I should join one. So something that I want to talk about this week is Kim Kardashian. Now, I don't want to flog a dead horse. I know that people have been talking about her a lot. And I don't want to get into this whole, oh, did she stage it? Is it her fault thing? Because frankly, that's ridiculous. What I do want to talk about is the Kim Kardashian tied up Halloween outfit. Now... I am astonished this this exists. It's in such poor taste. It's even worse than I think a major supermarket last year had an escaped mental patient outfit, which is in itself horrendous. But the idea that a woman being sort of threatened with her life and tied up in a bathtub could become some costume is just absolutely anathema to me. It's horrendous. Although it did remind me that I think everyone has probably done this, but when I was at university, I hosted a bad taste party and I thought it was really, really hilarious. And I was like, I'm going to be completely original for this. And so there was a boy in my year who got really drunk once in a nightclub and tried to swing from a flag off a balcony onto the floor and he fell and he hit his face and I was friends with him. And so I went to his house and I was like, oh, would it be all right if I borrowed some of your clothes and I dressed up as you when you fell off the balcony for this poor taste party? And he was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. So I've got this house full of people dressed as like perverts and Hitler and then there's me dressed as this poor guy who'd fallen off a balcony thinking I'm the most hilarious person in the world. No, nobody had any idea who I was. And when I explained, their, sort of, their faces just turned from, you know, just abject horror, the fact that I was hosting this party in the first place, to just, you know, bitter disappointment that I existed on Earth. Okay, so finally, there are loads of pressures on young people at the moment with all the bombardments of social media. So what advice do you have for young women who might feel insecure about their own identity or not sure what they want to do for career? Oh, God, I mean, that's such a hard question. question. No, it's fine. It's just incredibly, it's incredibly hard because I hate sounding patronising. But one thing that I will say is just to... Just to take breath and be calm because one day, as you get older, you just filter away the stuff that stresses you out. Your life gets neater as you get older, I think. And it's okay to feel bombarded with the prospect of a lifetime when you're quite young. But just to stay focused on the thing that you want to do. And then one day you'll just be doing that thing and everything will feel a lot calmer. I think there's a lot of pressure on young people to have to do it all you've got to be really good on social you've got to be amazing socially you've got to have a great career you've got to do all these things and just try and remember that you're the only important thing and just kind of trying to to remain all about yourself and just stay focused on what it is that you want to do and one day it will all just be easier you know it's I can't say 
advice to young people because I was an absolute mess throughout my 20s and suddenly it all just became okay as, as I at the moment <laughs> but that's how everyone should be yeah like I just I just think that's what your 20s are for you're supposed to be erratic and crazy and all over the place it's just as long as you stay focused on that little thing everyone knows in their gut what that thing is what that thread that they want to follow is and if you just keep hold of that and just keep moving towards it then you'll start to filter back down to earth in your 30s. But you should be wild and all over the place in your 20s. And you should also sleep with loads of people and eat loads of food. <laughs> Dawn, you're so wise. Thank you. Sleep with everybody, children. Yeah. <laughs> have sex have, with everyone. Have, have sex and eat pies. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yourselves. Such good advice. Thanks. Such good advice. Dawn, thank you so much for coming in. It's been amazing to chat to you. Total pleasure. Thank you. That's all for this week. Make sure that you subscribe on iTunes or if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Deliciously Seller on Instagram. And hopefully I'll see you guys next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skide trætte af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmagle.